Yo, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of 699 per pound podcast, where we usually talk about careers, but we have shifted our focus to the very real impact of COVID-19 on Asians in this country and around the world. So we are going to bring you perspectives of Asians in different professions and places to give you a personal look at how this virus became more than a symptom of the body. I mean, it's affecting us in so many levels, so I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Thank you to all the fans and listeners that continue to support us. Please subscribe to get all more info on COVID-19 related episodes um, by, you know, following us on the gram, listening to us on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, you name it, we on there. Make sure to tell a friend to tell a friend in a socially distant way, though. Uh, I don't want you to go to your friend's house. <laughs> I just want you to stay home and tell them about the podcast, all right? So with that said, though, uh, oh, yeah, I can't forget. You can now support us by buying me and JoJo a $3 coffee, not physically, but digitally. <laughs> um, you could go on Kofi.com. You know what I mean? Kofi.com slash $6.99 per pound. Um, you can also uh, set up a monthly donation for us. I know it's, it's tough times right now for many people, but for those of you, um, you know, uh, that wouldn't mind like just supporting us out as well, just to kind of show us some love for all this content that we're putting out there. Please check us out at anchor.fm slash $6.99 per pound slash support. Yo, if you can't figure out the specifics with the URL, <laughs> you could just Google it, all right? So with that Google said, Jojo, please introduce us with the latest guest. Oh my God, gladly. So this week we're talking to Zui Yang. He is an international journalism student at Columbia. Yep, an Ivy, just, just throwing that out there. Uh, born and raised in Wuhan. So you can see why he's relevant to our last call series. Um, but he's pursuing a master of science in journalism and a master's in international affairs because he's an overachiever. <laughs> All <Totally>. the while <laughs> serving as a contributor for the South China Morning post so actually they actually wrote the piece that helped us connect with ivy um who was the genesis of this amazing series and project um the article was called coronavirus wuhan natives in the u.s unite to support their city during crisis so he's the man who is connecting the dots and interviewing the people in the u.s who's rebooting this amazing city and we're so happy to have him on the pod to tell us his unique perspective as a chinese grad student in the u.s and also his connection to wuhan so welcome 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 hi jojo hi jackie i'm glad to be here yeah, yeah word. welcome welcome so did we miss anything, Ziggy? Is there anything else that listeners should know? No, I mean, that, that was a pretty <laughs> long introduction. I think it's okay. <laughs> it's enough. Um, it's your fault because you made it long because you're involved in so many things. Um, so that's, I mean, it, it's so crazy. It's like a full circle because I think when we were researching um, on Ivy, on what um, questions we should ask her and everything when we first started the project, by the way, listeners, if you guys haven't caught up, check that episode out. Um, you wrote that article and you know you interviewed these people who are from Wuhan who are um, getting ahead and thinking about how do we rebuild this place um, could you tell us like the story behind that article how you pitched it um, your involvement 
Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, so I pitched it because, of course, I am from Wuhan. So mm-hmm. I've always I have a lot of connections there. Yeah. I'm always looking at what my people are doing for this, mm-hmm. and I know there are not a lot, but some Wuhan people here in the United States mm-hmm. who are very worried, just like me, and are trying to do something for Hong Kong, even if we're just like we're like miles away from mm-hmm. Wuhan. So I connected to. Ivy because I talked to a New York-based organization. They're like comprised fully of Wuhan people. Oh, so it's the name is called Yellow Crane Club, I believe. Uh, so they were all like people from Wuhan or have connections to Wuhan. They're here. They're professionals, and they tell me, "Oh, Ivy is organizing this Wuhan Reboot project. It he, she will be the best person that you can talk to." Mm. And that's how I got to know her. Uh, yeah, how I got to know her. And also, b- besides her, because I went to schools in Wuhan until gra- until college, so I have a lot of friends or like like school connections also here. I also talk to them about how, what they have done for the city, and those are pretty much what made up uh, what was in the article for South China Morning Post. That's crazy. Um, so, how long did it take for you to like pitch it, and then for you to write the whole thing up? Were people really enthusiastic about helping you out? Yeah, I think uh, so. I pitched it to the editor actually through another Wuhan journalist, also here in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was re- so the editor probably approved that uh, very soon, like after one or two days, because uh, clearly he he saw the value in it. And then I did an interview in like one week, I think, mm-hmm. because I can I can I have as I said, I have a lot of school school friends from Wuhan. So it's really easy to connect to people from Wuhan. And there were, I think Ivy was actually the last person I talked to for that article. Like the other people are easier to get to. Mm-hmm. And after that, I feel like, okay, I got everything. I used probably another week to write article. And then that's it. Um, JK, as journalist to journalist, you know, you have any questions for ZE? Oh, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Um, I mean, yeah, so I, I think a, a quick question that I wanted to ask is, um, you know, uh, a little bit about a South China Morning Post, because uh, right. I think if you're an Asian American, I'm not saying all Asian Americans speak Chinese, but I mean, especially if you are of Chinese American background, um, South China Morning Post is kind of like the most relevant newspaper mm. uh that covers um chinese american chinese issues uh around the world can um can you kind of explain to the listeners like uh like what is like uh like what is like the american counterpart for like the south china morning post and like how relevant it is in the uh mm. in the chinese community mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right well that's a big question the american <laughs> counterpart uh i would say it is probably one of my most trusted publication that reports a lot about China. Mm. So it's an English newspaper based in Hong Kong. So it re- but it really looks at a lot of different regions, like not just Hong Kong, but they have a lot of stuff in mainland China. They have uh, a lot of stuff in other Asian countries. They're looking at like the whole, I guess, Asian Pacific region. Mm. So and also, I feel like um, I do like to read South China Morning Post because they usually present a very balanced views. I'm not saying they don't have like radical pro-China or anti-China views. They do, but mm. then you kind of see a balance of all different, all all diverse views in it. So that's why I usually 
have it as my go-to news sources for like English articles about China. I see. Oh, I see. Nice. So, like, I mean, I think, I think when 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 a lot of uh, Americans when they think of Chinese media, they have uh, a certain sense of a uh, uh, skewed perception, or I wouldn't say, well, maybe skewed isn't the right word, but they have a, a preconceived notion that you know, mm-hmm. uh, mainstream media in China has to be uh, controlled. You know what I'm saying by the government to 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 a, a massive degree. Uh, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with that point, but um, would you say like, you know, I, just to kind of go off on what you just said earlier, like, you know, if you are like a uh, American, uh, uh, somebody who is not Chinese uh, or living in China, um, would you recommend like with South China Morning Post, like the go to newspaper that you would recommend for uh, uh, Americans to kind of get informed about Chinese issues? Uh, I think it's is a pretty hard question to answer. Uh, first of all, to some extent, it's true that most of the media based in China are like heavily censored. Mm. Uh, especially you said, it, you said it. I didn't say it, man. I'm still trying to go back <laughs> to China. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Didn't you said it. Don't I didn't scare say him, JK. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, because it's true that uh, because all the media in, based in China are subject to kind of like the administration regulations about it. Mm. So if the administration go to them and say, you need to delete this article, they have to comply with it. That's sadly the truth. But then there are a lot of nuances in there. It's like, it's not that everything will be censored in China. There are topics that are probably less sensitive. Let's say if you're a tech journalist in China, you have much more flexibility in reporting. Because mm. the tech industry in China is booming and it, it's usually seen as like the better part. Mm. So there are more flexibility to report what is going on there. But then if you go to like the traditionally more sensitive topics like uh, human rights violations, these are the parts there will be red lines that every journalist in China will know. What, what are the things that will get censored when you're reporting? Oh so man, I, 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 I don't know. If, I don't know if human rights violations are considered traditional because <laughs> it's, it's an evolu- it's, it's an ever evolving topic, especially when it comes down to uh, uh, some of the things that allegedly the Chinese government has done. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, with that said, I mean, you yourself, uh, you're a journalist um, and you're studying journalism, um, and arguably one of the best uh, J schools in America. Mm-hmm. Um, just like. How has that experience has been so far? I mean, um, did you study journalism back in China before you um, uh, came to uh, Colombia? Or is this like a whole new uh, perspective on um, journalistic standards for you? I didn't study journalism as a major. I was a philosophy major for my undergrad. Oh. Uh, yeah, but then I was uh, I was in the school newspaper. I was interning at several publications in China, mm-hmm. so I got to know like the practice a little bit before coming here. Yeah, but then like I I was never in like an ethics discussion of what we should do in a certain situations. Mm-hmm. That's that only happened after I came here. Yeah, so here like in the J school, they will actually tell you like, oh, what should you do uh, when you are facing this kind of problems or like more in, in terms of like journalism practice, like uh, give you more opportunities to go out to report and write. So yeah, a lot of the more professional things I think I learned here. But be- before that, because I spent my whole life in China, I've been reading the news whole time. So I also kind of know what is going on in there. 
Yeah. I mean, I remember because I was also in the journalism school at USC mm-hmm. and I remember studying abroad in the United Kingdom and the whole curriculum was around like um, the journalistic standards and just like journalism in general. Um, in the United Kingdom versus the U.S., where United Kingdom, at least as of now, is publicly funded BBC. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for now, you know, they're known to be very impartial. Um, They're not tied to revenue as like in the U.S. And even those nuances were so crazy and I had to wrap my head around it. Um, So I was just curious, like, you know, pushing what Jakey's saying for you, like, you know, was there a reason why you wanted to come to the U.S.? Did you want to explore like different? You, you said you already had like the professional kind of foundations, but you're a mm-hmm. philosopher. So, <laughs> you know, were you curious to, you know, kind of excavate the philosophies of different countries? And why did you choose Colombia? Well, if I wanted to go on with my philosophy study, I'm not going to come to journalism school. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually decided mm. I'm not smart enough to become a philosopher. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and journalist seems like an easier occupation, so yeah, that's what oh, I'm going shots with. shots fired, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. But, uh, but yeah, I, I feel like first, I really want to become a journalist. That's mm. like a firm belief I have. Uh, so, and at the time, I feel like America is still the country with like, with the, the emphasize journalistic professionalism the most mm-hmm. like the journalism schools here are still the best among mm. the, among the world in the world mm-hmm. so I, I do feel that i want this opportunity to learn what like the top like the top people in my industries are doing here mm-hmm. and i want to learn from them and also like new york's like the center of the media so of mm-hmm. course i want to come here um but also i think the other thing is that i do know that doing journalism in China is going to have more restrictions mm-hmm. than here. So yeah. I feel like I want, and also like I, even though I was still like an intern in the Chinese publication, I can kind of feel that. Mm-hmm. Like the pressure is not directly on me, but I can feel that in the newsroom. So I, I want to feel like what does it feel like to do journalism here? Yeah. Um, well, in the turn of crazy events, you know, mm-hmm. um, obviously that has been impacted because of this pandemic. And I was noticing in your byline at SCMP that you also wrote about, um, you know, you Chinese students in the U.S. face stu- either staying or going right. home. Right. So when you were confronted with that, you know, what was going on in your mind and what does class look right now for you? So obviously all the classes have gone online. Mm. I found that it's harder to concentrate when it's online instead of in a real classroom. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many things in my apartment that can distract me. Yeah. Uh, and then, I, I mean, I guess for me, I don't really have the, plan, the option of going back because Wuhan mm-hmm. is still under lockdown. Nobody can come in. Oh, so, yeah. So like not like a lot of other Chinese students who have already gone back, I'm still like, I can only stay here. Mm. But then uh, the other problem is that, as I actually wrote in the article, is um, if you go back to China, you have to get up in the middle of the night and take the classes, which is mm. going to be a lot of trouble. Yeah. So I don't think I will do that even if I have the option. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people went back. I, uh-huh. I I don't have a percentage, but a lot of my friends here at Columbia SIPA, the School of Inter- International Public Affairs, they have gone back. Got yeah, it, I mean, I, I wouldn't blame them, you know, like, especially if you're an international student, you know, mm-hmm. God forbid, knock on wood, if you get hit with the corona, 
yo, like the medical system over here is so fucked up that they can't get <laughs> any sort of support for anybody that's not insured, you know, like as you know, that at least in China, like, yo, if you're a Chinese citizen, the government takes care of you on so many different levels, at least when it comes down to your health, you know what I'm saying? Especially, um, you know, like I feel like, especially if you could afford to be in the J school in Colombia and you're a Chinese person from China, you got to be like, uh, you know, middle class or above, you know what I mean? So um, I'm sure there's a lot of benefits that kind of comes with that. Um, But with that said, um, right now, like, uh, you know, uh, are are you about to graduate soon or, um, you know, in in May? Okay. So, well, congratulations first and foremost is April. Mm -hmm. So, but with, with what's going on Mm -hmm. right now, I'm sure a lot of, um, a lot of things got pushed back. Maybe you guys are not going to have a graduation ceremony. Uh, maybe you guys are going to have a a tougher time, um, trying to lock down, um, potential jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's, what's happening with all of that, you know? That is totally true. Our commencement has already been canceled. Oh, uh, I actually don't know whether we are going to have a virtual commencement, but I don't think that means much. Mm-hmm. Like You can't just Zoom with a few hundred or a few thousand people yeah. and do a virtual commencement. It doesn't, doesn't work at all. Uh, for the jobs part, that is pretty much my biggest anxiety right now. Uh, Traditionally, like, I mean, the journalism industry has always been hard. Like, it's nice to find a job there. But then with this possible recession coming, a lot of the publications or media companies have already gone into, like, kind of a hiring freeze. Mm -hmm. So uh, normally every year at journalism school here, we have, like, a career expo, which is basically, like, some 100, 200 employers come here to sit down and talk to the students Mm -hmm. about possible op- op- positions or just networking but then this year because of the coronavirus obviously this cannot happen mm-hmm. so again we went on virtual we we're just zooming with the employers but then like it's totally different because if you're not talking in person there's not a kind of intimate feeling you're it's harder for you to bond with them so i know a lot of my friends are not very happy about it mm-hmm. um but then that's the that's the reality we have to accept. And also, like, as I say, like during this career expo, usually some of them will come here with fellowships, positions already in mind. They were just going to say, we're going to hire one or two people. We're just looking for candidates here. Mm. But, we, but some of this fellowship that re- existed in the f- previous years, they were canceled this year. Like we were oh, told that directly. Yeah. And it's sad, but yeah, it was just going to try harder. Yeah, no, nah, totally. I mean, um, this kind of reminds me of, um, so I was an intern at a, at a complex media or when it was still complex magazine back in 2008, uh, when the, uh, the, the financial crisis, the, uh, the great recession hit. Um, and mm-hmm. I remember the climate of media at the time. It was, it was at a time when, um, print was pretty much dying out and, um, they were kind of transitioning into digital, but digital was still such a very new market that they couldn't figure things out. And the recession hit. So everybody was getting laid off. A bunch of print publications pretty much went bankrupt uh, within mm. a month. You know what I mean? And um, it, it's kind of crazy that a little over 10 years later, like we're experiencing something similar. But if anything, even more drastic uh, than it happened before, you know, Um mm-hmm. But I think for international students is even more of a uh, um, of a worry because, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I don't think a lot of people understand like the process of being 
the process of becoming um, safe, permanent residents in the United States, like how difficult mm-hmm. that like is, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. So there's a bunch of different visas out there. Um, you know, there's obviously the H-1B, which uh, from what I know is like a grace period for like a year mm-hmm. when you could look for a job. Right. And then, um, you know, no, actually, no, that's nah. I, that's I don't even want to speak on it. Yeah, that's OPT. <laughs> so you got to get on the OPT first and then the OPT is a year. And then after OPT, if you are lucky enough, you could get on the H-1B, which is the work visa. Right. Um, right. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I know some people that are on the O-1 visa, which is uh, um, like it's for the artists, I believe, um, for individuals mm-hmm. with specific talents in the creative industry. Um, but if you could kind of just break that down for the listeners, I think that'd be great. Right. Yeah. Uh, if we're getting technical here, uh, the OPT is what you were saying, like you automatically get one year after graduation. Mm. Uh, but then for people who are studying the same majors, like scientific and math majors, they get three years. So it's a little bit different. But for mm-hmm. me as a journalist, I only get one year. So people in uh, the creative field, they get one year grace period, whereas the people that's in um, science and math and these other involvements they get three-year grace period yeah generally it's like that oh man so yo if you want to be a journalist <laughs> or if you want to be a fashion designer fuck that man trying to be a doctor <laughs> we don't <laughs> you need you apparently yeah, america doesn't <laughs> want you they want doctors they want doctors and scientists that's what they want they don't want journalists but anyway, yeah, go on, yeah, go, on to you. <laughs> go on. Go <laughs> on. Sorry. Uh, yeah. So, but then after that one year, that's how you actually you really need to try hard to get a visa here. Mm. And the most common one that most people acquire is the H one B visa. So the thing about H one B visa is that you have to be employed by a specific company, and a company is willing to pay for your visa. Yeah. I don't remember the the number they have to pay, but I think it's like a few couple thousands. Mm-hmm. Um. And then, and then it, once the company agrees to pay for it, you enter a lottery system where only like one third of the applicants actually get granted a visa. And that's like totally random. So yeah. there's a lot of like insecurities there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the just to add on one. to the, just to add on to the lottery system and correct me if I'm wrong, like I heard like there's different levels of the pooling. So for instance, like they right. first poll from people that have master's degree. And then whoever doesn't get pulled from the people with master's degree gets combined with people with bachelor's degree. And then that bigger pool then gets, you know what I mean? Then, then, and then mm. they like pull like another round of um, potential candidates from that pool. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a very like, you know, it's like winning the lottery pretty much. You know what I'm saying? Right. right? Yeah. I think that happened only after Trump. So because oh, yeah, he yeah, values yeah. meritocracy so much, he thinks people with a master's degree deserve more opportunity in this lottery system. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, okay. yeah, that's what's happening right so, now, I think. So so that happened because of Trump, you know? Again, Donald Trump out here, man, fucking it up for so many people, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yo, mm-hmm. man, we, we could just never fucking go a day without talking about the inefficiencies that Mr. Trump has caused to this country, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I mean, please That's go true. on. Sorry for keep interrupting you, no. man. Um. <laughs> Jakey's passionate today. Yes. <laughs> so the other kind of visa that I or like journalists are specifically focus, uh, like uh, that journalists will take into consideration is the media visa. Mm. I think it's called I visa. Mm-hmm. So it's basically you have to be employed by a 
a media company that is based outside of United States. They can have like a branch in here, but they must also have office and branches outside of United States. And then you are you are employed just as a media journalist, media professional. And there are also limitations to that one, but I have not studied into it because obviously, if I want to stay here, most of the publications are based in US, so it's really hard to get a visa. Actually, yeah. oh, but but there is a very important new change to that. So due to the escalating tensions between China and the United States, the US government actually just said, I think a few weeks ago, that it will limit the number of I visas. Granted to Chinese nationals because <gasps> the Chinese journalists are doing propaganda here. That's what they say. Oh my god! So every single day you're like, "Can you just give me a break? I already have so many strikes against me, and like、yes. you're basically targeting me right now." Totally.、Yeah. Oh my god, that's crazy. Ah man, and I think I really have to like evaluate my privilege here. Like I remember. You know, being in school and my friends who were international students, like sometimes, like you get close to someone and it doesn't register that they're from another country.、Mm-hmm. So you know, you t- you kind of complain about the process, and they're like, "Dude, like you don't need to get sponsored." And I'm just like,、yeah. "What do you mean?" But <laughs> but you know, and they don't get into it because it's it's so complicated. But that is something that international students have to like really live through. And like you said, anxiety that is so anxiety inducing because <laughs> it's like it's not just about just try harder, you know, or just like. Be a better journalist. It's like no. It's literally who I am, and they're not letting me stay here. They have win. They have won awards for the project, so they can like just put them out、mm. and and present it into the officer and say, look, like people recognize me in my industry, so you you can give me this O one visa. And then for journalists, because we have bylines, it's easier to prove that you are an outstanding journalist,、mm. and that's what a lot of my friends are aiming at.、Uh, because、uh, uh, for O1 visa, you are sponsoring yourself; you、mm. don't need to ask a company to help you,、mm. and then that gives you a lot of flexibility. Mm. Cool. Okay. Okay. Nah. That's nah. For sure. Like I'm. I'm very familiar. I wouldn't say I'm very familiar, but I know some people that's on the O one visa. So it's definitely a. a, a it's, it's, it's a tough process, man. Uh, it's it's、yeah. an emotionally strenuous process. I'll tell you straight、yes. up. Like not、mm. only for the people、yeah. that's going through it, but for the people that's around them. You know, as、mm-hmm. a, as a Chinese、uh, national who's currently living in America, pursuing your dream. When your hometown、uh, is reported globally as the alleged uh, uh, ground zero for this global virus, and how you know how does it feel, and、um, what is your experience being Chinese right now? As there's so many、mm-hmm. uh, racist attacks that are、um, you know just increasing on a daily basis. I think it has been a very surreal experience because if you're from Wuhan, you never imagine. It's gonna end up in the spotlight of media.、Mm-hmm. Even in China, like what has eleven million people, but it's not a very culturally distinct city.、Mm. Like it's not like like Beijing, Shanghai, or Chengdu, who are like who people know about it. Like if I introduce myself as from Wuhan here before this happened, nobody will know what it is.、Mm-hmm. So I kind of I'm familiar with that kind of life that、mm. nobody know where I'm from. But now it's just weird. Like whenever you have to introduce where you're from, people will say, "Oh, how is your family?" Like、mm. they mean well, but then 
you don't always want that kind of attention. Yeah. So it's kind of hard. Um, but then, yeah, as like as ch- I, I, I feel like, I feel like as a Wuhan people, uh, I feel like as a Wuhan person, I have not fortunately I have not received any direct attack because of this identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of trolls on Twitter, but they're always there, so I'm I'm used to that. Mm-hmm. But in real life, no, I have not been like attacked or like yelled at or said anything about that but i do have friends who receive like more who receive discriminations because they were from china i mean people can't really tell from your look that if you're from wuhan so they just discriminate everyone who looks like chinese um and for that south china morning post i actually talked to a student in nyu who ran into a man on the street of new york and was being was yelled at like Chinese virus, beach, oh that kind of words, and the man was trying to hit him, hit her. Oh my and god! She escaped, but it was like a really terrifying experience. I couldn't imagine like what I would respond if I were in that situation. And also, nah. like what she told me was like on the whole subway trip home, like she was always afraid like if there's gonna be another person jumping out and attack her. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of pressure. Nah, oh for God. real. Like right now, with everything that's going on, um, it definitely put me on edge too. Like, and I'm from New York. Like, you know, I live in a, a, a you know, I always grew up around Asian people. I, you know, like I've never had any um, insecurity about my identity um, going to places. But uh, you know, for the first time ever, like I, I just kind of like start checking my surroundings when I'm like in the subway. Right. You know, when I'm like in the streets. Like if uh, if my girl wants to go grocery shopping, I'm like, nah, you ain't going out there by yourself. Like I'm coming with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, so there's yeah. definitely uh, that type of uh, sentiment and that type of energy that is uh, uh, going around right now. Um, yeah. You know, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Jojo. Yeah, I think we're now at a point, I think, as Asian Americans or Asians in the United States, where we know at least like one or two people who have been harassed, like that right. are in our circle. And that in itself is scary. You know, I, I whenever I talk to a friend, like they'll mention another anecdote, another anecdote. And, you know, we we can we don't we can't really break it down in percentages, but to realize that it has gotten to that point where it's so overt. We're not even talking about the microaggressions, we're talking mm-hmm. about like, you know, face to face harassment. Um that's just really, really scary. I'm, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say it on the record, man. Yo, J. Mm. Key always got it ready, man. J. Key ready. <laughs> Anybody try to test J. Key? Yo, I'm yeah, not gonna say in what in what specific measures, but yo, I'm I'm ready, man. Yo, I'm it's going mm-hmm. down. Anybody try to <laughs> test your boy? Down. It's going down, man. <laughs> yeah. Fuck that. You know what yeah. I mean? I actually oh just gosh. saw on my Twitter timeline that a friend of mine, mm. uh, who's also a journalist here from Hong Kong, I believe, um, he was like yelled at, ch- uh, he was yelled Chinese virus in the face today in New oh York. Oh my God. And mm. then he chased the man down for a block. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what you say? And then he <laughs> ran them down. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny to me, but it's also sad. I mean, yeah. 
Oh my gosh. Well, Jakey, I, I need to learn some of your kicks because I, I don't feel that confident like you <laughs> do. Nah, nah. You, <laughs> you just, me too. Yeah. yeah you, you just gotta um, start. You just gotta looking for some um some tours on Amazon. You know. Oh yeah. No, nah, yeah. we we just we just wanted to boycott uh, Jeff Bezos. Oh, yeah. Fuck Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Um, just kidding. Not Amazon. Yeah, <laughs> not Amazon. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah. Like so, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about um, you know, like uh, uh Doctor uh, Li Wenliang. Is is that how mm-hmm. I uh, pronounce his name? Yeah. yeah yeah so i mean as a journalist like what do you think about the outcry for freedom of speech uh after uh dr lee Wen liang um i mean you know he was like the original uh whistleblower uh about this whole situation right. where i mean that's kind of how people are celebrating him uh as mm-hmm. as such you know what i mean so um like if you could if you could talk a little bit about that and like how the initial news spread and Weibo and um and WeChat and all these different uh, social platforms and just kind of uh, teach us the American masses on mm-hmm. how this isn't just some like the it's not that it, the people of Wuhan are not at fault you know what I'm saying like they are mm-hmm. affected uh most drastically by this if not you know it, it, they're 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 the ones that are the biggest victim of what's happening right now you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If right. you can just like wrap that up and contextualize that whole situation, kind of like you know, tell us that story from your perspective. Mm-hmm. Right. I think uh, first, not as a journalist, but just as a person, it was a really sad experience when I heard him die. Mm-hmm. I at that night. I mean, it was a morning here in New York. I was yeah. supposed to have a class like a few hours later, but then I just couldn't have time to prepare. Couldn't couldn't concentrate to prepare for the class. Like I was so occupied by the news, and as you know, there were a time people were saying like, "Oh, there still might be help, mm-hmm. uh, might be hope." So uh, you should wait for what's like the final result, and it's just like really hard time. But also, it's very surprising to me. Like almost every person I know are standing on the same side and supporting him and mm. mourning for him. Like, on that night, the only thing I can see on my WeChat timeline are people expressing their sorrow and and and, and angry uh, about about the death of Liu Wenliang. Yeah. I feel like... And then, I, I for, as a journalist, I kind of feel relieved a little bit because mm. people did recognize him as a whistleblower. Mm. People did know that, like it was because his information could not be spread to the general public that the epidemic grows larger, like to mm-hmm. a larger scale. So I feel like I that was something I'm not sure whether everybody can get because obviously he was he died because of the virus, not because of any direct suppression. But then I'm it's just it's just like a beautiful moment that everyone can understand and tell each other that yeah this is not right Mm -hmm. like we shouldn't have silenced him in the beginning Mm -hmm. and because of that he died of this virus it's just such a sad story and i feel like at least at that night it was like everybody knew about that and everybody was talking about the same thing so it was like a very strong emotional moment for me yeah and did you feel like not just like the people but um like the government also acknowledged him I think it's because like the response like from the public are so uh, response from the public was so strong mm. that the government has to react. So mm. right after that, I think 
uh, the next day, the government announced that they were going to investigate what happened. Uh, the investigative result came out, I think, two weeks ago, mm-hmm. but it was not very satisfactory. They basically said it was the fault of the local police uh, who did not make a right decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, they were f- they have they had to respond to that, but then. I wouldn't say there were anything like systematic change because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, like, I wouldn't know if there is anything. Right, right, right. I mean, um, as, as somebody who is a Chinese national who's now experienced uh, essentially the pol- like, you, you know, you, you've now lived in two uh, superpowers, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. the two biggest superpowers in the world right now. I don't know if uh, Putin will feel a certain way about that, but, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, how do you feel about um, the Chinese? Because uh, obviously, uh, I, you know, there's a lot of pros. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that the Chinese government do that as an American myself that I feel like is the right thing to do. Like, for instance, like mm-hmm. having um, having a, a type of system that is easy that could easily um, stop corruption because, you know, she Dada, a.k.a. Xi Jinping, the Don, like he could just fucking... <laughs> bury you you know what i'm saying like with the quickness like yo what you're not gonna build a hospital in two weeks ah your whole family's gonna be dead you know what i mean like i don't know maybe that's just an exaggeration but you know like there's We're definitely get certain censored things in china jake <laughs> you know, there's, definitely, there's, there's definitely certain things that the chinese government does that i feel like is very efficient um but then you mm-hmm. know like obviously when it comes down to these um Uh, limitations on certain media personalities really speaking out and trying to suppress like freedom of speech when in times of like crisis i think in that you know there there could be a little bit of uh, there could be a lot of improvement on that um Mm -hmm. you as a chinese international now have seen both sides like what are your thoughts um i I think i have a few different thoughts one of the things that i actually feel like i was disappointed by how like the American government reacted. Mm. Like there was like a long lag between this happening in China and this happening in US. Yeah. So throughout that time, I was like thinking, oh, this is not going to impact how I live here in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you know, mm-hmm. now it's like a pandemic. Mm-hmm. It's also like widely spreading here. So in some way, I feel like the US has failed greatly. And this is not like what I had expected. But it was very disappointing. Yeah. yeah. Um, on the other part, I think on on the Chinese side, I think it's that I mean because I also study in the like the international affairs and policy perspective, so I f- I know that it's not like real. It's not realistic to expect the government to just like suddenly say, "Oh, we love freedom of speech now. Uh, we want to do everything like you, the U.S. government." Mm-hmm. So I really feel like the things like what minor changes can be done after this. Mm-hmm. Uh, like one of the things that I was actually surprised, I'm not sure why, is that like there was like a two weeks or three weeks window when the media was able to report about the coronavirus. Of, of, like relatively freely mm. like they were able to do a lot of in- investigations and criticize what was done wrong at the local level so i feel like if 
that can be possible in the future. Like that, that can happen again when another crisis, like God forbid, happen. Uh, maybe that's that's gonna help more people. Yeah. So mm. I do, I do wish the Chinese government can learn something from this and say, next time, don't silence someone so fast. Yeah.、Mm. So、this kind of small changes can save a lot of lives. I think. Yeah. For sure. And can you walk us through a little bit about how maybe the biggest differences between how we would consume. Um, the news versus how someone in China might consume the news. You mentioned WeChat.、Um, I've、mm-hmm. heard Weibo. You know,、mm-hmm. are there as many like news networks that people can get their information from, or is it kind of like、mm-hmm. centralized? Mm-hmm. I think、um, it's mostly similar to what we have here in US.、Mm-hmm. So Weibo is the Chinese Twitter, and WeChat is like the Chinese Facebook and WhatsApp.、Mm. So those are like social media where we get information, but they don't really produce information.、Uh, it was produced by users or like traditional publications.、Um, in terms of like news consumption, well,、uh, th- well, one of the things that like a lot of people do get information from social media. Quicker than from traditional media, like I think Weibo this time has been has been proved very effective in terms of like spreading information、mm-hmm. and like amassing people to help or donate. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, you know, just to kind of put it in perspective, I would say like Weibo is like Twitter on steroids. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's、uh, it's it's like Twitter times ten. Twitter. Twitter is <laughs> super sane for Twitter. You know what I mean? Like it's OMG. It's it's it's, it's a very、uh, you know. Th- there's obviously a lot of misinformation, and correct me if I'm wrong, Z. But I feel like、mm-hmm. there's a lot of misinformation that gets like、um, there is like shared on Weibo, WeChat, and all these、uh, social platforms. But、um, it's、uh, like there's just so much information. Like you know, you join one of those WeChat groups. You know what I mean? And you're Your、mm-hmm. notification is just fucking ongoing, like every two seconds. You know what I mean? There's just so <laughs> much, so much that's going on.、Totally. Um, but I think、uh, one thing that I, for the listeners,、uh, and, and please expand on, is like because、mm-hmm. China is a, is a one party system,、uh, whereas in in the U.S. like you have like、uh, you know Fox Media, for instance, like is often associated with more conservatism, whereas like、uh, you know MSNBC is more associated with liberal. Ideals were so were were you know were, were as they claim. So,、um, it, is there any sort of like、um, private media companies that kind of、um, you know、mm-hmm. spread the news that kind of uh, 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 contr- not controls but influences、mm-hmm. uh, public's perception of the government?、Mm-hmm. I think there are two kinds of media sources that can act like that. One of them are like. Public-owned media, so they are not directly owned by the government, which means that they gave them more, like, flexibility or leverage in terms of what they want to report.、Uh, but these are still traditional media companies like Caixin, which like worked really well this time reporting coronavirus. But then, in the end of the day, they still need to like need to get orders, need to abide by the orders by the administration. So they are relatively more.、Uh, how do I say this?、Um, it's relatively e-、um, like they are relatively more able to do reporting that are not just propaganda.、Mm. They have more leverage to do that. But then there's the other side, which is like we call it the self media,、uh, which are basically just like WeChat public accounts or like Weibo key opinion leaders. 
they obviously they're not owned by anyone. So they in in some in critical times can be very help can be very powerful in terms of like spreading information because people feel like oh this is just another individual mm-hmm. like I can trust him or her because mm. he's not owned by anyone. Mm. So, so they're like op eds. It's like people right, that write like op eds. It's like a right, but they're like, <laughs> well, it's like oh, it's like a YouTuber, mm, like it's like yeah. a key YouTuber that wants to speak up during this time. Mm-hmm. So they have their own fan base. People want to hear from them, but then they can go both way because you don't know what they're gonna say. Like they can help spread what is actually happening on the ground so that people, more people can be aware of it, or they can spread misinformation. So,、um, you know, you kind of touched on a little bit about what you kind of hope that、mm-hmm. um, something, you know, coverage around the coronavirus and you know the kind of rallying around Dr. Lee Wen Liang have sparked, and that I think a lot of Americans. You know, they stereotype people like anybody does, but they kind of might think that, oh, like everyone in China, they're brainwashed. You know, they don't have their own opinion.、Mm-hmm. But I think these are examples of how, no, they, you know, they're they have attitudes. You know, they have opinions, and you、mm-hmm. know, sometimes they will fight for what they believe in. And、um, with all of this, do you, are you more hopeful? And like, what, you know, what do you hope that? You know, post all of this, a,、mm-hmm. a world would look like for a journalist in China.、Mm-hmm. I I definitely think this experience has boosted my confidence in the Chinese media、mm-hmm. because I will say this, and I think a lot of people agree with me, is that、uh, the most brilliant reporting of the coronavirus、uh, situation in China came from Chinese journalists and Chinese publications,、mm-hmm. not from. The foreign correspondent of the Western media,、mm-hmm. because like it's very understandable because they the Chinese journalists have the access to the local people,、mm-hmm. so they are able to find the stories that are most compelling, their、uh, or like the biggest problem there.、Mm-hmm. So I I do think it has restored some of my confidence into in the Chinese media,、uh, but then I I really hope that people will like just the general public in China will respect them more、mm-hmm. because. Us, the media here, they're also facing like financial problems. They're facing the distrust problem. People don't really read news anymore. So I feel like if there's nobody supporting them, it's hard for them to keep on working on like this. Yeah. So I really wish that people can support the Chinese journalists more、mm-hmm. and know that they are doing a hard job despite there's so much in. Censorship problem and lots of logistic difficulties. Yeah,、mm, that sounds righteous, man. I mean, I totally agree with you. I feel like news、uh, as a as a as a source of information, fair and balanced information, has you just yeah. And JoJo, and I'm sure you could talk about this as well. You know, you work for a media company yourself.、Um, it's it's becoming less and less. Uh, factual, you know what I'm saying? Is is becoming more and more entertainment, like、uh, geared towards a specific opinion. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to hear the facts. You know what I'm saying?、Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to see pundits making jokes and shit. Like, I just want to know what's going on. Just give me the numbers, give me the facts. You know what I'm saying?、Mm-hmm. So I can make my、yeah. own opinions about issues.、Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, with that said, though,、um, you know, for those Americans, and that's pretty much all of us. That doesn't really know what's happening in China. Like you know, we don't we don't read、uh, we don't read Chinese. Um, it's 
it's mm-hmm. uh it's a beautiful language but it's also one of the most difficult i would say you know what i mean because right. yo if you don't right. use it you forget it because it's not like mm-hmm. an alphabetized yeah. character or anything like that like you know just to That's just true. there's like 20 different ways to write lee you know what i'm saying like so <laughs> you know what i mean um, much more than funny yeah, yeah. i would say and, 200 <laughs> yeah for sure for sure so many different ways so um, you know, for 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 us that doesn't know what's happening in China and want to get real information, like uh, where should they look? You know, what I'm saying, what are some mm-hmm. outlets? If you could kind of give us three tips right. on the proper way of understanding mm-hmm. China. Mm-hmm. I think first of all, there are some publications in China that are trustworthy. Mm-hmm. I I don't mean like they are us. Uh, diverse or as balanced as they can be, but they are much better than the other ones. Mm. And some of them are in English. Mm. Like the Caixin, as I said, they have an English version. It's mm. not going to translate everything they did in Chinese, but it does provide a lot of things they have done to an English reader. It's called Caixin Global, I believe. Mm-hmm. And there's another publication I really like. It's called Six Tong. Mm-hmm. So it's based in Shanghai. It's owned by a Chinese media company, but they're doing really great, like human interest stories. Mm. So and 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 interestingly, if you are doing English coverage in China, you are subject to less censorship than Chinese coverage. Oh. So they actually are able to do more reporting that it their their colleagues in Chinese reporting cannot do. So that is also something that I really recommend to read. Um. I would say the the next one is probably South China Morning Post. Just because they are based in Hong Kong, they definitely are able to do much more that the publication in China could not do. Yeah. But they still, because they have such a huge focus on China, so you get to know what is happening there. Compared to if you're only reading the New York Times coverage of China, they do not have the capacity to cover what's happening. So you only get a very selective like stories from it mm-hmm. yeah and so usually I, 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 usually they tend they tend to be a little bit more like negative reports you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. um or negative from a from a from a chinese person's perspective i would say right, right? like right uh, it's yeah. something that you know uh but can you just repeat the names for us again um you know sure. the, the 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 publications mm-hmm. that you you would want mm-hmm. us to check out um obviously right. so, the south china morning post and then mm-hmm. um what are what are the other the first two? one is the first one is Caixin Global. So Caixin is C-A-I-X-I-N. And the other publication is called Six Tong. So six, uh, six as in one, one, two, three, four, five, six. And Tong, T-O-N-E. Mm, six Tong. Six Tong News. Right. Six Tong mm-hmm. News sounds like a, sounds, <laughs> sounds gangster as fuck, man. <laughs> Yo, like <laughs> representing Six Tong, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, excuse me. I actually started watching a video because um, I also know that um, South China Morning Post started this uh, thing called Gold Thread. Is that right, Zay? Yes, yes. So Gold Thread, I just discovered it because um, I work at Great Big Story and we do a lot of um, documentaries from around the world. Mm-hmm. And we always keep an eye on the competition. And Gold Thread has had like, really like awesome videos about like food and culture in China. Um, they also do kind of like the video versions of your articles, I think. And it's mm-hmm. kind of targeted oh. toward the younger people. Mm-hmm. So definitely check that out, too. I remember... Right. Yeah, Gold Thread. It's a great name. And I think it kind of started mm-hmm. very recently because I was at the Asian American Journalism um, Conference and they were doing a launch party, I think like two years ago. And they've already come so far. So, mm-hmm. SCMP nah, sure. like, taking over. 
Yeah, no, nah, this is dope. I mean, I'm just, uh, you know, some of the titles that I'm seeing on the website right now is uh, Suck Suck, director on making a film about Hong Kong's closeted gay grandpas. Wow. You know wow. I mean? All, all the way down so to, uh, all the way down to uh, right um, inside <laughs> of Chinese caves where SARS may have originated. Whoa, there's some, there's some intense shit next to uh, <laughs> why does northern China eat so many buns? All right. They got some lighthearted stuff, too. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, you need those pieces. You know, you got to yeah, sprinkle them I in. I watch that too. Um, thank you so much, Z, for enlightening us with all of these things. And um, I know when we were looking you up, I mean, we've only talked to you about mm -hmm. um, this pandemic, but I know you love to cover other subjects. Like, um, wh what other pieces have you worked on? And like, what are some of your favorite beats that you write about? Mm -hmm. I think the two beats that I'm most passionate about are immigration mm. and LGBTQ issues. Mm. Uh, so let's say one of the honorable work I've done first as a master project for the Columbia Journalism School and then published in Narratively was a story about how a Chinese gay couple wanted to have surrogacy in the United States. So oh. they spent four years and I think $200,000 <gasps> just to get a surrogacy baby. Oh my god! Yeah. And That's it was crazy. like a really hard journey because they 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 I think they experienced like three or four times of like um, miscarriage. <gasps> so yeah, it's really hard, and I usually take probably one or two years, but for them it's four years because there's so many things have gone wrong. Oh, um, so I talked to them. I talked to the surrogate mother actually, mm -hmm. and I also talked to a lot of like just like. Uh, people in the service industry to try to t see what's going to happen throughout this journey to get a baby. And I really like this story because it's kind of like sits in this intersection of all things that I'm interested. Mm. It's about China. It's about LGBTQ. It's also about US. Mm -hmm. So I, re I really am proud of that one. And that's the kind of work I wish to do more in the future. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a full-length documentary. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think there is a Netflix documentary on the same topic. Oh. I'm, I'm not sure what the name. It's probably, like, all in my family, mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. We're definitely going to check that out. So thank you. Um, no, but yeah, thank you for, you know, indulging in our questions and, you know, some's big and some small. Um, we really appreciate your perspective, especially during this time. Um, before we wrap up, we actually ask two questions to all of our guests. And mm -hmm. the first one is, who is your most, uh, man, I'm like blanking right <laughs> now because it's not in front of me. Okay. Um, who is the most significant person in your life? And, mm -hmm. you know, you can actually make it more like metaphorical. Some people have said books, you mm -hmm. know, some people have said their therapist. It doesn't have to be like, you know, your partner. You can get mm -hmm. really creative with it. Mm -hmm. I wanted to say my partner, but I don't have one. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> holler, holler at me. <laughs> uh, I, I know I should say it's my parents, but oh. I do have some other names in mind now. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, because my, pa my parents don't understand English. They're not going to hear about this episode. They will not find out. <laughs> uh, I want to say at this time, it's probably my high school friends. Mm. So we are all from Wuhan, mm -hmm. but none of us is in Wuhan right now. Yeah. I'm talking about like five or six friends I'm most close with. Yeah. Um, we are all, we have all been watching this away from our home mm -hmm. so it's really good 
it's really good to know that there are people who are feeling exactly the same as you do. Mm-hmm. So they are the people I go to when I am anxious, when I don't know what to do. And I really appreciate that they have supported me throughout this time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Jakey, do you want to? Yeah, no, nah, for sure. Uh, no, nah, it's, uh, I, I, you know, the other question that we always ask all of our guests mm-hmm. are, um, what is your personal mantra? Whoa. Um, I think, well, this is what this is kind of random, but also kind of related to what's happening right now. So these days I've been thinking about a, a sentence a lot, which is build bridges, not walls. Mm. So mm. I think that was from like a 2018 commencement speech of Columbia SIPA. I mean, I don't get to have a commencement right now, so I have to watch the older ones. No. Um, but, but yeah, I think that really resonates with me because I feel like this is a time where countries or people are not trusting each other. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to build walls to protect yourself, but it's so hard to actually listen to other people, even though you might have completely different ideas. So I think it's, but it's important for people to build bridges. Mm-hmm. And that's something I really want to do, like not just professionally, but in my personal life. So yeah, that's probably my personal mantra. No, for sure. That's, that, awesome. that's, that's very important, man. Because yo, like I believe in a global community where everybody is interacting right. with, with each other, you know, traveling totally. with no passports and all of that. But I feel like, um, you know, with where everything is going, you know, like some of these people in the powers that be, they're scared, man. They mm. need they need us to be divided so they could conquer us and contro- continuously mm-hmm. control us. You know what I'm saying? So, not saying that you know this this just happens to be that this fucking global pandemic just popped out. But yo, mm. JK yeah. with the questionable face right now, you know. Um, <laughs> but with all that said, though, you know, like uh, it's it's another episode of Six Ninety Nine Per Pound Podcast. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Zui, Mr. Zui Yang, for joining us. Um, Jojo, is there anything else that you would like to add? No, other than the fact that, you know, Zui, you are the bridge, you know, you're not just building them, but you seriously are a manifestation of the bridge. So thank you for schooling us today. I can suddenly feel the weight now. (laughs) For sure. No pressure. Um, You know, Zui, before we let you go, man, where can people find you Mm -hmm. and uh, connect with you? Well, I have a very easy to remember uh, website name it's just youngzi.com nice uh, that's like my portfolio mm. but also I'm very active on Twitter so it's also my just my name so people can find me there got you man that sounds great sounds amazing um, yo with that said uh, make sure you check out Zi. Uh, remember you can stream this podcast on all major pla- uh, streaming platforms that's Spotify Apple uh, Anchor you name it we on there if you want to show some love make sure to hit the subscribe button right now told you do it now and uh mm-hmm. tell a friend to tell a friend each one teach one most importantly rate and share this podcast with your entire network you know what i'm saying i know you on your phone all day scrolling through instagram and maybe looking at you know girls that are a little too young for you to be looking at on tiktok making oh these dance God. moves and shit you know what i mean you fucking horny bastards you know if you're doing that if you're doing that you know you could share our podcast man do something good for the humanity you know what i'm saying um and follow us at 6.99 per pound podcast or 6.99 per pound specifically on instagram facebook twitter for the latest uh much love to anchor you can now support us monetarily by setting up small monthly donations 
at anchor.fm slash 699 per pound slash support. Oh, yeah. You could also buy Jojo and I a coffee digitally. Um, $3, man. Coffee.com slash 699 per pound. Make sure you Google it, man. We fuck with Google. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> all right, man. Appreciate you guys. Thank you guys uh, for tuning in. Peace, peace, peace. Hey, yo, it's 699 per pound. Podcast.